two things people said to me when I was first when I first learned I was pregnant that I've never forgotten. The first is that when it comes to our childhoods, none of us make it out alive. Not even Phil. Yet he's here. And the second, from my former boss, that was from my therapist. In my <laughs> There's many of them standing here tonight. <laughs> Sorry. My former boss said, um, if having this baby doesn't change the person you are, something is wrong. Well, I'm happy to say I did make it out mostly alive. I know I went on to give birth to a beautiful baby girl. When the doctor first turned to me and said, you're pregnant, I was terrified. Absolutely petrified. I think it is because I wasn't parented myself in the healthiest of ways. And so all I could think of was, will I do the same thing to the same person on I exhibit those same tendencies. I was four when my parents divorced, five by the time my mom moved me and my sister in with a stranger, the man who had become my stepdad. Right away, I didn't like this guy. He yelled, he screamed, he threw furniture, he kicked our dog. I mean, maybe you've got a different opinion, I don't know. <laughs> my therapists are right here on standby. <laughs> I didn't like them. My mom and my sister, they kept pretty quiet. I was little, um, but I already had a big mouth. I told them exactly what I thought. You can probably imagine about how well that went. I've heard it said since that when you're the one in a group, be it a household or a work environment, sorry, um, and you're refusing to conform to that dysfunctional norm, it's like you're holding a mirror up to the bully, and the bully doesn't want to see it. So you become a target. And I think that it's a pretty accurate representation of how I felt for a lot of my childhood, not all the time, but a good chunk of it. Okay, this is where I put down my transition. <laughs> okay. That's why it's hard to remember. I did the best I could. The happy part. You move on. Um, you do the best you can. It helped that he and my mom would divorce when I was in high school. I kept a gentle relationship with him. So now I'm 32 and I'm pregnant and I think I'll just invite him and his new wife over to dinner. It'll be so fun. They walk through the door and again, panic. It was just like every nerve in my body stood at attention. All I could think of was I gotta get out of here. I gotta get us out of here. I was about six months along at the time. I didn't know it then, but there were words. I was being re-stimulated. Some of you might know that. Um, see it a little easier than I did at that time. I was triggered by my past. And the pattern that was coming up that wanted me to act unconsciously, which I did, was fight or flight. When I was a kid, fighting was easy. There was nowhere to go, so it was kind of the only option. But now, in my 30s, pregnant, expecting my first kid, we were out of there. That's what I did. I packed up my partner at the time, and we moved when Lucy was about six months old, 3,000 miles across the country from Washington, D.C. to Portland, Oregon. It was literally as far as we could get and still maintain a job that he had. They say you can move, but your problems might follow. I would say, especially if you don't address them. <laughs> just take off. So again, that wouldn't come to me until later. Interestingly enough, through a social justice training, years ago for my job. So my daughter was about nine, heading into 10. And I go to this training. And in the social justice world, we talk a lot about isms, right? We've got racism, classism, sexism, pretty well established dialogues around that. And you may know this one, but it was new to me. It was, it's called adultism, the oppression of young people. And what makes it unique from the others is that it's absolutely universal. We all experience it no matter where we come from, who we are, where we live in the world. Even if you have a happy family, chances are you're 
chances are you felt minimized at probably multiple points along the way in your childhood from a coach, a teacher, a friend, a bully. And when you're little, it's very hard to fight that system. We're very disempowered, so we do the best we can. But the danger is we risk internalizing those hurts. And if we've internalized them, we might self-harm or we might perpetuate that oppression onto others. It's like we're carrying around these bags, right? And they're invisible. We don't even know they're there. We're trying to adult and have a relationship with people. We're hitting each other upside the head with our invisible bags. So one of the bags that I had had to do with, with identity and just boundaries in general. As a kid, it was kind of hard for me to feel like I could be myself. There was just adults around me. I think some of them would have preferred it if I were an extension of who they were. So it was really hard to figure out my own needs, much less attend to them. So I knew this. So when my kid came out, I was like, oh yeah, she's gonna be her own person. She's gonna have a voice in this world. She'll be strong. So one thing my daughter, interestingly enough, liked to do when she was little, she wanted us to be twins. <laughs> Those of you who have kids or grandparents or little people in your life, you've probably experienced this. It's very cute and endearing for most people. <laughs> can we wear the same clothes today? You know, if you don't have the same outfit, can we wear pants? Can we wear the same color? Can we paint our nails the same shade? Those innocent, sweet little requests, they would just land on me like a punch to the gut. I mean, I know that it's so strange. And I wouldn't say that to her, of course. I would just come up with some excuse why we couldn't. Inside, I'm thinking, hey, you do you, I'll do me. We are so good, kids, you got no idea. So here I am, I've learned about adultism. I've gone away for the day, I'm in town shopping at a local boutique there. And uh, I see this bracelet I want. And I'm like, oh, I'll get myself this bracelet, it'll be nice. And I think, my daughter's name is Lucy. I'm thinking, oh, Lucy would love one of these too. How can I do that? How can I get us each the same bracelet? That would make us twenties. So I'm having this reaction at the register, that poor clerk. I must have just stood there for a second, well, more than a second, figuring this out. And it hits me. I just came from a place where I was learning about this cycle that can happen. Gee, I wonder if I need to investigate my feelings right now. So I figured out the past was impacting the present. So I bought her the bracelet. Go home the next night, walk through the door. She comes up, eyes my bracelet right away. Hey, I like your bracelet, Mom. I say, oh, you should check my pocket. How many in here have done that? I think there's, you know, it's like the best thing, right? Little hand going through your pocket. Out comes this bracelet. She just goes bananas, jumping all over the room. Mom, 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 you got me a bracelet. It's just like yours, only it's different. Mine is butterfly, it's hard. I love it, I love it, I love it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And what joy I felt in that moment to be able to connect with my daughter in a way that I'd previously been denying her. And she was requesting it. Not just joy, but relief. Because I think when we set those bags down, we didn't know we'd been carrying them feel really lightning. I don't know if you caught it, but the bracelets were just a little different. I can't, I still can't bring myself to go full spectrum on the twinkie thing, but it was, it was a really good moment for us both. So the other one, the other time this really hit me hard, um, especially after learning this training, Lucy's now, I guess she was about 11 when this happened. She's doing her homework. I'm in the kitchen cooking. Um, she's working on math, and she gets to a problem that's pretty hard. Just leaves. She sets her pencil down, goes into the dining room, I mean the living room, and starts reading a novel. I'm having a reaction. Like, hey, you need to get back here and finish this. Just because it's hard doesn't mean you give up. But I don't understand it. So what? Come back here and finish this. Like, let's get let's work through this. But I need dad. Now that's a fair response. Her dad and I are no longer together. He's the math guy. It, it was a very reasonable thing for her to suggest or point out. But I didn't have a reasonable <laughs> reaction. I 
table. I hit the table, and I said, you get back here. You finish this right now. Now, Lucy is across the room. She's the wrong person, right? She's ignoring me. She's just reading her book. And I'm no longer in our dining room. I'm in a different dining room. I'm sitting at a table. It's rectangle. It's not round. It's made of pine. And I'm working on a math problem. And I'm about Lucy's age. And my stepdad, that dude from the past, he's sitting there right next to me. He's there to help me. But he's mad. He's frustrated with me because I didn't comprehend something I was supposed to comprehend. So he takes the pencil from my hand and he hits me on the head three times. And he says, stupid, stupid, stupid. And I just want to melt through the floor. It used to be there were times where I could detach from his anger and kind of recognize in that child way, maybe, as much as we're able to, that it didn't have a lot to do with me. This was not one of those times. I just felt this overwhelming sense of shame. Here was this man of authority in my life. He spent a lot of time with me. I didn't like him, but there he was. Who would know better than my teachers at school if I was smart or if I was stupid? Who cared what grades I got? He knew me. I'm an idiot. You need to finish your math homework, I may as well have been saying to my daughter. Because if you don't, you will fall behind. And if you fall behind, you'll start to think you're stupid. And even when you do succeed, you'll just think you're fooling everybody. And as you grow older, you'll start to feel more comfortable the less smart people around you think you are. Does it make sense? It won't come from a place of logic, but you will bend your life. You will become less than. Adultism has been extremely powerful in my life. It's impacted my working relationships, how I interact with my friends, my family, but most especially in how I parent. And the biggest thing, the biggest takeaway for me is that when I feel big emotion rising up, that's me being triggered. It's a clue. I need to figure out what's behind here for me to deal with and what's really truly in front of me. And there are times when I fail and I fail miserably. Last night was one of them. Like we had an argument, my daughter literally ran from my house. It was great. It's night. She's 12. <laughs> but, um, and just a few months ago, also, she came, she'd gone to hear a speaker with a friend, and she came back so excited. You know how it is. You hear something, you're so excited, you want to share. So she's sharing with me, and at the end of it, she says, can we buy this religious text, Mom? And I'm like, well, it's not always anger. It's just feeling. It could be a number of emotions, right? So I'm just feeling like, goodness, like, what was this speaker again? Tell me about that. And I don't know. And I just started to question her. She shut down. She didn't want to converse with me, and I don't blame her. So she left. And I realized, there you go, you're doing it again. Go stop that. So I go into her bedroom, I kiss her goodnight, I say, of course we can buy that book. I'm so sorry, sweetie. I love you. And then a few minutes later, I go into the bathroom we share, and there on the mirror is this hot pink sticky note, one of the big ones. And it says, I love you, Mom. Please let me be me. I know, right? And then I see my reflection. I was a mom who was trying to dim her daughter's light, but the daughter wasn't having it. 